We have never agreed for our lands to be invaded or occupied. We have never consented to it, and we will never ever surrender or compromise. We occupied government buildings, we blockaded highways, and we talked about not just marching, but direct action to shut this shit down. Welcome to Indigenous Action, where we dig deep into critical issues impacting our communities throughout occupied America, or what we call Turtle Island. This is an autonomous, anti-colonial broadcast with unapologetic and claws-out analysis towards total liberation. So take your seat by this fire, and may the bridges we burn together light our way. All right. So today we're going to talk about um, indigenous sellouts and struggle profiteers. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Bon. And um, co-hosting with us today is Klee. Hey, Yate. I am grateful to share this space with y'all today. Uh, before we begin, I just want to mention that we are also part of the Channel Zero Anarchist Podcast Network, and we're going to listen to a promo from one of the other shows. You were born a hunter-gatherer. You were born a social animal, one that moves within the land and moves between bands in a world that was meant to be less measured, less exact. We were meant for lives with more meaning and less consequence. A life where connection and meaning are implicit, where animals have voices and trees have stories. A world where rivers flow unabated and water isn't a health hazard. A world without fences, a world without flags, a world without rulers and gods. It's our world, the world of primal anarchy. We are here to say that either the world burns or the cities do. We're here to say that abusers convince you that you have no choice. We're here to say that marketers convince you that you have their options. We're here to say that you are wild, that you can be free. We're here to say that there's a match in one end and bull cutters in the other. And we aren't here to say that the world is waiting. We are here to say that the world is fighting. We are here to say that their story only ends one way. We're here to tell you that there are others. Primal Anarchy Podcast is a collection of rants, tirades, condemnations, readings, musings, Explorations, response, interviews, and iterations hosted by Primal Anarchist writers Kevin and Natasha Tucker. Find us online at primalanarchy.org, all major podcast platforms, and the Channel Zero Anarchist Podcast Network. So from clothing brands capitalizing on movement imagery and slogans um, to beer labels benefiting um, MMIW, G2ST, when facing cultural appropriation and exploitation of indigenous identity and struggle, what we want to do here today is um, explore how we hold indigenous artists and nonprofits accountable for exploiting those struggles. If we want to just take a second to have um, our guests introduce themselves, and then we can go ahead and get started. Hi, everyone. Yat Ash at Hazbasmari Inishia, also Inishla. Hello, 
And that's me, Tezba. Hello. Thank you for having me today. I am grateful to be here with such powerful guests who have done a lot of amazing on-the-ground frontline work. I'm you know, not necessarily looking forward to this conversation because it's a challenging topic. It's always controversial when we're talking about movement exploitation and capitalism and colonialism. There are a lot of folks who are just looking to survive. How do we navigate our survival in the context of colonialism and capitalism? And what we see are people paradoxically exploiting the very movements that are against those forces. And so that challenging, that um, frustrating, that uh, really emotional conversation is what we're going to be digging into, which is not an easy thing to do. So I'm grateful that our guests are here to share their personal experiences, their organizational experiences and frustrations, and perhaps offer some insight into ways to move forward and really honor these struggles, honor our ancestors and honor the future generations. You know, so the questions are, how do we do that? Um, how do we hold some of these businesses, these individuals, these artists in our own communities accountable? And so uh, this conversation really isn't for settler ears. This conversation is for our own people to figure it out. And perhaps those of you listening might relate. Some of you all, it might be challenging, but this um, bitter medicine, some of our strongest medicines uh, are the most bitter medicines. And that's part of that. That's part of having these deep, challenging conversations so we can find meaningful ways to move forward. And with that, Tezba is going to start us off by sharing some of their experience with the Arenda tribe and holding them accountable and the issues that they had faced uh, online. Okay, so... I didn't even expect to get into this. I was minding my own business on Instagram one day. And, you know, Oranida doing the work that they do. They're this business that sells these really overpriced skirts and T-shirts that you could literally find on Etsy for, like, less than $100. Like, you probably find, like, a T-shirt like that for, like, $25. It's amazing um, that... Those prices are so high, yet they say they serve the indigenous community. Mm-hmm. Um, so how I got into this was a video from a relative on Instagram who did this like open letter to Amy, the owner of Oranida, about basically having a paper trail of being shady and not paying them um, for their work. And I kind of was like, I support you. And then I kind of like started looking into Oranida and seeing the work that they're doing. I mean, don't get me wrong, like the work that they do outside of their business, it, it's cool. Um, like, I think a skate park's cool, which is leading me into what happened. So mm-hmm. they're doing this like Dene skate park in somewhere in the desert. I think it's in New Mexico, like Two Gray Hills area, I think, or Totalina. I don't know, something about concrete in the desert and COVID. So um, I was like, why are they doing like a skate park? Like during, you know, an ongoing pandemic um, when some some of those funds could be just 
you know, dispersed elsewhere. So I got my, so I got on my Instagram and I started like picketing basically. I'm like, how come they're doing this? And then like, I started getting backlash from some of their followers um, who really just had like no teeth when it came to their arguments about defending Amy and the whole skate park and saying that I'm a hateful person or hateful old, I don't know, something about their ageist bullshit kind of like came toward me and all their digs, but I'm, I was just like, I all I'm doing is like critiquing or like con, constructively criticizing what they're doing, um, building a skate park when there's still a um, pandemic still going on. I mean, don't get me wrong, like it's a cool project, but sometimes folks need to stop hiding behind, we're doing it for the youth. No, you're not. You just want it to be known for yourself and just to like put your name out there. I mean, like, during, like, any other time, it would be great. Don't get me wrong. I know I keep saying that, but, yeah. So, um, as things kind of, like, went on, like, the next week or so um, with folks that I called out, and especially folks that were being transphobic who work in medicine, I'm like, why are you in medicine? Are you being transphobic? Like, you literally work with bodies. It's like... And then uh, that was fun because people act like they can say stuff on the internet that's like crazy. And especially like how small Indian country is, it's like not even an hour later, they're like, oh, they're from Windorock. I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> so it's <laughs> even that too, like people need to be careful. Um, people need to not fucking be transphobic assholes, is what they need not to do. not do. And defend like people who are appropriating. So um, as time went on, you know, folks started to, again, have this paper trail with Amy, that they're like this, and then their little followers would attack, you know, other accounts and harass them. And it was just utter bullshit the way that, you know, Amy was just like, I'm over here and I'm just going to have my um, wolf and churro sheepskin, you know, go and play with y'all. Like, it was, it's... And then um, a relative who is from the Haudenosaunee Nation um, kind of called out the fact that Oranida is a Haudenosaunee word, which I didn't know. And basically, it's like hajon, like for them, if you will, for example, like hajon is like a word that's even used like within ceremonial context and um, all of that. So that's how I understand Oranida, um, the word itself. So and Amy has really not taken on that accountability for the harm that they've done and just like their blissful ignorance of what's going on and like I'm da 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 it's like no no so um in closing Amy needs to stop and just change your name um change it to like something in Navajo like no one's gonna get mad like there's literally people that call like their businesses I would say one is my favorite is and uh, Res Girl Creations, like even that business, like I bought one of their bucket hats, their Masana bucket hats and the Bluebird inside, it's like reversible. So even just like business names like that, like no one gets mad when a Navajo uses Navajo words to, you know, have a business name. Like, so it's, it's all too frustrating to say the least with that check. Yeah, I just wanted to just offer that direct support and um, just express how toxic transphobia is in general, but how it was 
waged against you, especially from our own peoples. And so just want to uh, really uh, um, admire your power for um, challenging that and staying fierce. And I, you know, of course, looking at this proposal to build a skate park and looking at the range of resources that we're struggling with to provide mutual aid in our own communities, it's like there are groups that are just looking at branding all of their PPE gear and their outreach and sticking stickers on everything that they're doing and claiming mutual aid when all those resources and all that money could be put into more essential supplies and more support for our communities because we literally have people dying and they're more worried about their branding and that's a big problem. And so uh, with that, I'm just curious to hear more of your experiences and particularly if there's anything you could share with other people who might be facing uh, these similar battles in social media spaces and otherwise. Mm, I would say... Um, I mean, I don't want to label the work that I do, like the work that would be called like social justice. I kind of feel like it was something that I kind of like went into. It's not, I don't think anyone ever like says, I'm going to do this like the day they're born. Um, and it really just takes a lot of like peeling back the flesh of a lot of like colonial and a lot of like capitalistic thinking um, with yourself and really kind of like seeing through the lines and kind of seeing different perspective of folks. So building community, that was how I built community. It's like following folks like Bon and um, Euclid. So, and all these other folks I, that I have on Instagram and on my Facebook and people that I've met throughout my um, college journey that I had to pay for. Um, actually that I'm in debt for. So school anyway um so i think i was blessed enough to have community um perhaps with my engagement on my instagram and um just making sure i followed the right people um and people who are actually you know doing something i think just being fortunate enough to have community um, and also the freedom or the liberty of having like the access to my own account has been able, has kind of like led me to be able to, again, make community, have networks and kind of like see what folks are doing and what other folks are saying and kind of asking folks like, do you know this person? Do you know this person? Ew. And sometimes just like, the blissfulness that is screenshotting and putting it to your story <laughs> and kind of like giving like mm-hmm. a quick context of what's going on. Like, Hey, this is going on. I think like if you are being bullied too or harassed, like put it on your story, especially if it's people within Indian country. And I hate to say that, but like, again, um, people within Indian country who did like send all that to me, like, I'm like, where are you from? So I can be like, ew, this is how they talk, where you're from. Like, who's your grandma? Did they let you sleep in? Is that the whole reason why you like to talk like this to me? Like, go lie down, go wash some dishes or something. Get off your phone. Just kidding. But no, like, um, building community, being transparent if you are getting harassed. Um, and and cyberbullying is a real thing. It does make you feel real lonely. But again, um, if people are being ugly... Um, call out their ugly behavior because 
that's like probably the worst thing you can do for them because they'll be like, ah, ah, no. So that's me. Check. <laughs> yeah, I just I want to just kind of follow up um, because, you know, um, it just seems like in situations where, you know, uh, I've also um, brought attention concerning things amongst, you know, Indian country. And it seems like the things that are always uh, pitted against me is that for one, I'm not um, like, you know, I live in a border town um, next to the, um, you know, so-called Navajo nation. And, and so like a lot of the interactions I have and needing to like call out what's being problematic is that, you know, I'm not Diné. And then I would say that's like the first thing that always comes up as being like a non-Diné person wanting to like have a voice and, um, and what is like primarily like, you know, Indian countries seems to be primarily dominated by Diné people. So that's like a really easy way to, um, like subvert non-Diné people's voices. But then too, is like the piece about around queerness, Right. Um, so I think people, I think in my experience in like calling out these, you know, subcultural capitalists who, you know, facade their <clears throat> capitalism with the, their indigeneity and appropriation of other people's indigeneity, um, is no like uplifting or centering of like queer voices and in, in the space in which like we experience the most oppression um as queer people i think like to be so um like irresponsible about how um like <clears throat> how the you know folks erase like our voices um is just so Oh, gosh, I don't even know. I, I, I think what, you know, I might add on to what um, Tesbo was saying is that it just creates a need for, like, community so much. And and so if, if you are a person who, um, you know, doesn't want to hold back, hold their voice back, um, I would just want to, like, definitely reify what Tesbo was saying around, like, building community um, around people who, you know, aren't gonna like pull shit like that um and just have this like weird brand loyalty um around in you know in indigenous subcultural capitalist spaces um where people would rather be recognized for you know their collaboration with some bigger company um you know thinking thinking back to what you're saying with the the skate park um a lot of that was like Definitely, I think, um, to me, it, it seemed very, like, you know, in collaboration with, like, Tony Hawk. And I doubt Tony Hawk gives that much of a care about, like, indigenous liberation. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a time and place for those kinds of projects. 
and in the context of the struggles that we're facing, which are life and death, there are other things that people could be doing more directly, put those resources directly into those communities, help us build an infrastructure and uh, build autonomy for indigenous communities, reinforce our sovereignty and these fights. There's a lot of other things that people can do. So Remy, what are your experiences with exploitation of indigenous identity and struggle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it, it would be good to kind of like dovetail it from y'all's experience in terms of IA and the whole um, the NTV natives or whatever the hell they call themselves um, and then kind of go into where we were because I think a lot of the co-optation, the spiritual um, exploitation and uh, capitalism is very, that's a really good example. I think we should start there. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how much it's worth it to get into this um, just because I feel like it's been an ongoing issue and it doesn't just relate to the natives, but it's a dynamic that's pervasive and obviously one that um, is not unique. And so the issue is, is that um, particularly, well, the starting point is, is that um, some years ago, with the struggle to protect the Holy San Francisco Peaks, which has been a decade long, decades long struggle here in so-called Northern Arizona, we just generated a lot of movement imagery. And typically when we generate movement imagery, like banners, t-shirts, posters, whatever, like our attitude has been that information is free, that these are up for grabs for the movement to use, but for personal or private use. Um, our main line that we've drawn, and this is based upon our experience because we've had, you know, people who've come in to co-opt or to profit off of movements, whether it's individuals or whole organizations, like in, this is why we talk about the nonprofit industrial complex, um, come in and, you know, use something, use whether it's the work or the imagery and capitalize off of that to benefit themselves. And so, um, we had generated a specific banner uh, that, and 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 just and one more note regarding the statement um, of like generating information for free and for movement use. Um, we also draw the boundary where it's not for commercial or for profit um, at all. And so we, on our website, we have a shit ton of graphics that are just freely available. We're like, steal this shit. It's anti-copyright. And you know, we don't believe in copywriting, but we believe in consent and there has to be a balance with that. And so specifically back in 2000 and I'd say 14, um, a little bit beforehand, we actually, we, um, we embraced the slogan, defend the sacred because we had been using the term protect the sacred, but it was actually co-opted by another group called the Amplifier Foundation. I don't know if you all have heard of them. This guy, Aaron Huey, uh, he's actually pretty notorious for going into the Pine Ridge area. He did a photo documentary series. He's non-native. Um, and he documented just basically what would amount to a lot of like poverty tourism. And he used that to publish and created a pretty big name for himself. And some of the community members there who I've talked to and I've worked with in the past expressed that they felt they were completely exploited. And so the Amplifier Foundation actually works. They started a project. Initially, it was called Honor the Treaties. And they wanted to work with Native artists. Um, they worked with uh, Shepherd Ferry from Obey. Um, and they created the, basically this whole little sort of industry 
around getting native artists together to make murals, make generate movement um, imagery, and they would pay to have things um, mass replicated. And so they completely co-opted the protect the sacred um, slogan that we used. And we didn't feel comfortable sharing movement space with somebody who basically was just turning that into a brand, like merchandising the term, because they didn't, they never reached out to us to like, be like, Hey, how can we meaningfully support these movements and make sure that whatever funds that we generate from selling, uh, whatever merchandise is produced, um, that relates to these images actually goes back into those communities and then meaningfully support the actions that are occurring. Um, and so there was a, a huge disconnect. I actually talked to Aaron Huey. I talked to some of these folks preliminarily and, and it just felt really wrong. And there were a lot of reasons, especially the reasons that came from Pine Ridge that this was wrong. So we, we actually shifted and we said, well, they can, they can have protect the sacred. It's fine. We don't want to own it. We just didn't want to be in proximity to this other project that then people would look at and say, Hey, this movement's part of that. So we're not part of your movement if it's just about commodification. And so, um, we we started the term defend the sacred <laughs> and we painted a big banner we painted actually on all of our banners our imagery for quite some years uh and then um we sent we painted one banner specifically that said defend the sacred on a, a red background with a yellow bar going through it and we had an image of a okay which she's also known as Juanita who was chief manuelito's uh, partner his wife and she was a very powerful matriarchal force that was actually very sort of discounted and dismissed um, by colonial histories as far as her role politically in addressing the, the long walk and post-long walk um, po- politics. And so we always felt like her image is a really powerful image and we wanted to have that stand with us when we were standing up to protect the Holy San Francisco peaks, which is our mother, uh, one of the six Holy mountains for Diné people. And so, um, we sent, we actually, after, you know, protesting with it and having that image, um, with us, we sent that banner up, um, with some relatives to standing rock in the midst of their struggles. And so, you know, we just sent that up as an act of solidarity. Uh, we didn't realize it was going to be basically an iconic, you know, photo op that, you know, that banner went viral. And, um, from that point, it wasn't just the natives. There was a lot of people who just basically, um, saw that image and they branded, they wanted that brand. They put it on t-shirts, buttons, stickers, like flags, uh, you name it. I mean, rugs, like we saw it on everything. And, you know, it was sort of weird because it was that same sort of disc. It was a disconnect because they, one, they removed the image of Juanita, which we felt was basically violence against indigenous women. We're like, this message was about this connection and what, why we're protecting this. And it was a, a direct act of solidarity between our struggles to protect sacred lands. Um, and so there was none of that. It was completely disconnected. Um, and it was just turned into this sort of empty uh, commodity. You know, it's basically the definition of commodity is something that people wanted to benefit all of themselves. You know, on one hand, we were excited that it, it went, it spread because, you know, I, I, I truly believe in propaganda and, um, you know, it's important to like make things exciting and attractive and inspiring for people to engage in a movement. Uh, but it went beyond propaganda to the point of just being completely exploited as a product that people were selling these shirts and there was, no clarity where the profits were going. Um, we would actually reach out to people saying, Hey, 
you know, where, like, cause we, we'd, we'd just monitor this on um, social media or online and we'd see that somebody was selling something and we would just read the content. And clearly there was, for all of them, there was no benefit. They, they weren't saying where the funds were going. And so the we'd presume that they were benefiting themselves. So we contacted every company that we found. It was actually sort of like this weird little game where people would just be sending us constantly like these things and we'd just contact them. We'd be like, hey, um, just, you know, and we would do it politely. Like, hey, just so y'all know, we are, um, uh, we're, you know, we have this, the purpose of this image was for this movement and we'd appreciate that if the funds go specifically for fighting sacred sites, it doesn't have to go to us. Um, but that's the purpose. And so, um, we got actually a lot ignored a lot. Um, we got people who were pretty hostile saying that you don't own this. You can't prove that you own this, um, that you don't have a copyright. You don't have it trademarked. Um, and we said we didn't need to, we we don't believe in that it's anti-copyright, but it's not for personal or it's just for personal use or movement use. It's not for your gain. Um, for commercial purposes, basically, you know, it's a way to, um, like use creative commons and whatnot to, um, avoid exploitation and marketing on that scale. Uh, and it just blew up like, um, and the natives were just one part of that. Like this shirt, the, the, um, the image was on Amazon, like being sold by some store that we had no idea of, and they had it in every single color. Um, and so we, we worked on trying to like address that, hold them accountable and shut them down because they were just completely problematic. And it was the biggest challenge. And, and I think why you bring up the natives, Remy, was because we felt like they're sort of like kinfolk, right? Like they're in, in they seem to be in the movement. They seem conscious um, and that they would be amicable to um, directing funds to those sources. So they actually <laughs> initially... Um, basically tried to say that it was their image. And, um, I have, I have just like a whole history with that going back and forth, um, in communication. And, um, what it came down to is, is that they ultimately agreed to just stop selling it and they offered to send us some money. And we said, no, we don't want your money. We don't want it to feel like we're paid off for something that we're not even part of that. You didn't have consent to begin with. It doesn't feel good. This is for the movement. So, you know, put that money where, you know, it needs to be. And that was, you know, maybe for the movement at Standing Rock, because it was a time where there were a lot of arrests and there was a lot of need um, for that kind of support because a lot of the nonprofit movement, you know, NGOs, the, the environmental justice groups weren't providing that support as they should have been. And they, we, we all knew that they had the capital to do so. And so, um, you know, I don't want to make it too long of a story, but, um, you know, we initially felt like we had a good agreement um, that they stopped producing uh, all the merchandise because it wasn't just um, t-shirts, it was stickers, it was flags, it was buttons and all that, caps, everything. We saw it everywhere. And then like a few months later, they put them back for sale on their website. And we're just like, uh, that's that's not cool. You know, like we had this conversation, we felt like we just had a basic agreement. Um, it's just not cool. It's violating that um, boundary that we established. And so... Um, and I think Remy, I don't know if you want to add, jump in here at any time because you were part of these conversations. Um, and so they they uh, tried to justify selling the shirts again at one point by saying it's just a different color. So it's a totally different image. Um, and then at another point after we um, basically said, that's not cool. 
um, they were like, oh, well, it's just somebody left it out that was over stock and we just wanted to get rid of the stock and we wanted to sell it and that's it. Uh, and they rectified that issue. Um, and then it came up a third time <laughs> after that, like some months later, it was like in a shop somewhere and we found out that they were wholesaling these t-shirts still and like they tried to just that's when they tried to justify it as being oh it's a different color it's a different print uh and so forth and we're just like that's the weirdest way to try to justify straight up like exploitation taking appropriation taking of somebody else's you know work without consent and apply it to something else and to me it's 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 not a personal issue it's a movement issue because it comes down to like this this should belong to the movement it shouldn't be for somebody's personal gain and at that point they clearly were not pro- putting those proceeds towards the movement directly and that's something i just want to clarify is like everything that we've done with indigenous action like our, our shop that right now is sort of defunct because We've been focused on mutual aid and our capacity for printing and producing th- stuff is really limited. Um, but everything that we produce and we generate and we sell on that site goes to support our efforts with radical indigenous organizing, particularly the Tullahoe and Info Shop. Um, and it would go out like anytime we would like, you know, make um, some money off of what we we're uh, distributing, whether it's tabling or online, it would go directly, 100% directly into the struggles that um, those shirts were representing and working with. And many times we would just design t-shirts for free or stickers and all that for other communities, specifically to benefit their struggles that they were organizing. And so it felt extraordinarily disingenuous and hyper-exploitative. And it was clear that this entity um, didn't understand that. And, you know, I, I don't know them enough to like understand their politics, but to me, it was just like about the chic of it, like the trend, how like this sort of revolutionary movement chic was attractive and it was something that they could sell and, and benefit off of. And it wasn't about like authentically, how can we make this accessible to the masses to help inspire, benefit these movements so we can build up the power of Um, all of our people in this struggle to have justice, to get, you know, whatever objectives we want to get done, whether it's shutting down a pipeline, protecting sacred sites and so forth. So, um, so yeah, that, that was uh, that story. And, you know, it didn't just happen with that crew, uh, with the natives, it's happened with, uh, no gods, no masters. It's happened with like a whole bunch of different like entities. Like there's a whole bunch of shops on Etsy, um, which, you know, basically taken the same designs, like the indigenous resistance one with the upside down flag. Like we designed that years ago at when we first started Tullahone info shop. Um, and so many people have taken it. And at this point we're just like, you know, like if you're going to, like, we still maintain that if you're going to, you know, sell that image for your personal gain, um, like just be clear about it. Like, don't, don't like front that you're supporting indigenous resistance then like, um, and don't sell a shirt that artificially is proclaiming, proclaiming indigenous resistance. And you have nothing to do with actually the movements that you're wearing a, a t-shirt for. It just feels artificial and something that, you know, is, is a hard line for me. And part of the, my interest in talking with you, Remy, and talking with Tesba and you, Bon, and specifically about the show is just to go beyond this and like, like ask those questions, like, because I, I don't know, like, how do we hold those accountable who are profiteering? Like, do we just become gatekeepers in doing that? Um, you know, like, how do how do we make sure we're also not just perpetuating lateral violence, um, you know, or lateral oppression? And so, you know, like, like some of the other questions I had are like, 
how do we make distinctions between propaganda and just plain capitalizing and, and challenge that? Like, um, because it can become, become tiring and it's to no end. Like even the image that we made for missing and murdered indigenous women, uh, two spirit and trans uh, folks, girls and two spirit and trans folks, um, the shirt that we made, it, it said smash, smash heteropatriarchy. Somebody took that image um, that we made and took off the smash heteropatriarchy part. So they, they deleted a whole analysis um, and just put that out there to sell that part of the struggle. And we're just like, that doesn't feel right. And I mean, maybe this ties in, is a good segue for the chief ladybird um, situation. But, you know, for me, it's like, you know, the co-optation is clear and the distinction again, and I want to hear more about this from y'all, but like, it was clear the distinction between capitalizing and something that's there for propaganda, for movement support and benefit was broken. Like that boundary, that threshold was crossed. Um, and it continues to be crossed by a lot of these different organizations or businesses. Yeah. Uh, the thing I want to say is that a lot of these brands are just trash um, they're not in it any, um, for anything other than their own personal gain. Um, their art or their work is nothing more than a gimmick. Um, it does nothing for us on the front lines. Like you're going to take a picture of uh, some chief with his horse drinking water and put some star Wars imagery in the background. And like, are people going to eat that up? You know, I think we need to start, uh, really figuring out as, our own selves, like how this is perpetuated in that way. It's like, we're so quick to like be the moth to the light and not really realizing, you know, what that light is. And I think for these quote unquote creators, it's just capitalism. It's the regurgitation of our culture through, uh, via a white lens, you know, some sort of game like rock'em sock'em, like, you know, whatever and we're just going to add an indian in there or um i just feel like it's like uh the natives and people like that it's just like that whole put a bird on it you know put a bird on it you know this is what we're going to do with the you know everything is just put a native on it and i think that it's detrimental because if you look at all their products and i think the thing that really helped me as an artist within the movement um you know, not profiting off of it or anything like that is the fact that, you know, a lot of this stuff is just the co-optation of what's currently popular, you know. So you have words and things like decolonize that are, you know, make it into these like conversations or end up on a shirt, um, you know, talking about treaties instead of weedies. And we're just going to go ahead and redo that. You know, fuck those treaties. You don't even know what you're talking about that at that point. Just because, you know, <laughs> you know, you want a portion of the land back, you know, of our land back. And, you know, so I'm not about any of that gimmickry that any of those artists like are about. Because if I see one of those baseball jackets with all those stupid ass patches on there on the front lines, like I already classify you. I already know that you don't belong there. Your shit is like mm. uh, just as fake just as plastic as what they produce and put out there. And so, I don't know. I mean, like, y'all should be embarrassed to wear that, honestly. Because mm -hmm. you're not challenging anything at that point, you know. I mean, I, I, the way I look at art and weaponizing it, 
Um, is, is it effective at the front line? You know, is it going to be, is it something that we could use tangibly? And I think that that is hard sometimes. And I don't think it should be easy either. But um, these folks make it a joke, you know, just Photoshop a gas mask on something and then all of Indian country goes nuts over it. I mean, that shit's trash too. And to have these artists, like, say, voting is sacred and things like that and jump on that bandwagon and further perpetuate that shit is harmful because all you're doing is, you know, (laughs) putting folks into our folks, you know, into a way that doesn't challenge anything either. You know, you're just uh, reinforcing colonialism by telling native folks uh, to vote and because it's sacred. So I see a lot of this is just wasting everyone's time. Everyone that's come before us, every other artist that has, you know, been on the front lines or didn't have a chance to make it on the front lines because, you know, for whatever reason. And so, you know, all these folks that do this, I was in Standing Rock for almost a year, stayed at like Facebook Hill or Media Hill. I watched all these artists come up. They take their selfie. They stay there for three days um, and then go on and give like speeches about like the movement. It takes you about two, three months just to get the feel of how things work within camp. But these people, you know, they don't participate in it. And so I I really want to pose the question to the rest of indigenous people. Like, how are these artists, like, pushing anything? What power are they backed by? Have they even fired a gun? Are they growing crops? Have they ever been arrested? Do they herd sheep? Do they know their culture, the people, the res? Does the culture and the people in the res know them? So, I don't know. I I really think that there's that disconnect. And they end up sucking up a lot of resources from other artists that are actually doing the work, that are on the front lines, that are challenging things. And it's much more than a gimmick. So, this regurgitation of white culture, um, it's not effective. And if you look at a lot of these businesses or orgs, they amount to nothing more than a meme page at times. And so I asked, and I want to put this out there for indigenous folks to think about, are these people selling revolution or are they using the revolution to sell themselves? Because a lot of times, you know, they want to perpetuate this look of an artist and I got paint on my jeans and I wear them everywhere. You know, that shit's trash in terms of like, you know, what a real artist is. You're not, you just do the work. You're not about advertising it. And so... The natives, all these other corporations and clothing brands that really are just watered down, um, saying things like, this is native land. Nah, fuck that. This is stolen land. We need to be straight up about that because the violence and the language that we're up against is big. And if we're just like not challenging anything, just saying like, oh, this is native land or decolonize or, you know, all these different things. You know, we've got to be careful about which language or which words we use from a white culture. Because I'm not about, like, calling myself resilient. Nah, motherfucker, I'm dangerous. It's dangerous to fuck with me. I'm not resilient. And so all these words that people be using in to describe themselves or uh, a corporation like Indigenous Rising, you're connotating that indigenous people aren't at the top you know we've been at the top this is our continent 
And so I don't understand like how a lot of these folks really use this English language, this English, these English words and everything like that, um, the imagery. And at some point, you know, we've talked about this. These people are going to run out of things. You know, they're going to run out of gimmicks. They're going to run out of things to just, you know, Photoshop in some way. So all them brands, all them organizations, the natives and otherwise, you know who you are. And I hope you're listening because you need to hear this. Y'all are just straight up trash. You ain't doing nothing for us but selling yourself. And we don't need you right now. We need those funds. We need access to that cash because our folks on the front line need that. We don't need you sitting comfy like somewhere speaking on behalf of stuff because you ain't in. You know, the folks that are on the front lines can look around. And none of these artists, like the natives, are a part of any of that shit. So, you know, I think that all these people are just another hurdle for us to overcome in terms of our own liberation. So, you know, that's my piece about that. I want to go back to something that you had said, like, um, Remy, and how, like, um, you know, when, like, you were saying someone, you know, you get a picture of, like, your grandpa feeding a horse or something and then put some Star Wars shit in the background. And, like, like people eat that shit up. And it's, like, why? I fucking hate that shit. And it's, like, how do we not... Like, and, and the issue is that whenever you, you know, call out your fellow native kin about like the shit they're doing, it's like, well, we shouldn't be here to shame each other because we're not, you know, we're not really the ones who um, are our enemy or, or whatever. And, and in my that. head, in my head, I'm going like, yeah, like, fuck that. Like, I don't. I don't care. Like if you're, if you're an indigenous person, you're still upholding like capitalism and appropriation and exploitation of probably not your suffering. If you're in a position where you think that it's okay to like exploit suffering to make money for yourself, you've probably never been oppressed to the point that you're selling or making your art to seem to be. So 100, 100. Why would we not call that shit out? Why would we not? There's all this like tiptoeing. There's so much like tiptoeing around, like calling the shit out when it has to do with like other indigenous people. And it's just something that like is so fucking sad to me. Like that, like um, as, as an entire group of, you know, indigenous people, like we're so like folks are so like assimilated into like white supremacy that we don't think that we can have these like hard critical conversations with each other without it seeming like we're shaming each other. And it's like, no, I'm not like, I don't want to shame. I don't particularly want to like shame other indigenous people, but what I do want to do is hold you to a high standard in which like we can like be those like dangerous, you know, indigenous people that have been like holding it down since time immemorial. Right. Uh, so I just wanted to like, I, I don't know if we can like maybe spend some time just breaking that down. Like why, why is it um, that whenever, you know, somebody like an indigenous per- person like fumbles 
in their like collaboration with capitalism that it becomes, you know, us shaming them when really, you know, we're not each other's so-called enemy. And I think that like, it just doesn't, it doesn't happen enough. And then also just to like, um, kind of reify like that idea that, and you know, a lot of these people who, you know, slap a 1312 embroidery on a beanie and then call themselves a maker and then sell and then sell this as them participating, um, you know, in the movement <clears throat> when they actually don't fucking do anything for the movement. So, like, don't show up with your fucking, you know, a cab 1312 bullshit. And um, like if you're not like organize, like it's especially if you're not organizing like against it, like don't be fucking making off money off of us, the people who are. Well, I was just going to say it's an important distinction to make that relates to how we honor ancestors, how we honor future generations and how we honor the struggles that we're facing now. Um, You know, it's a reality that as indigenous folks, particularly if we look at, you know, conditions of capitalism, the means that we have to go through to survive. Right. Um, So, Part of the choice, though, the very specific choice that some folks make is the path of making it for themselves in the markets of Santa Fe, for example. Like Santa Fe Indian Market, I think, is a very peculiar example. And this gets into the logic behind trading posts. Uh, It's an economic logic that was based upon assimilation into capitalist society. Uh, You know, killing the Indian, saving the man that... um, political strategy of colonial invaders specifically supplanted our self-sufficiency, you know, and and I say this hour as like pretty pan-indigenous because I think it's safe to make that broad statement that before colonizers, um, you know, we didn't have capitalism. We lived off the land in extraordinary reciprocity in beautiful cycles. And so with, with ways and means of living that were, beyond anything that could be, you know, named or co-opted into revolutionary socialism or communism or whatever, you know, that um, are very powerful. And so that was a threat to capitalism, right? Um, in order, industry needs um, workers and and it needs resources. And so people are resources. So it commodifies the land. Uh, it commodifies bodies and it brings them into the fold to be producers in that system. And so that, as we talked about with the definition of capitalism, is the function of uh, the weapon, really, of assimilation that was used to bring our people into the folds and commodify everything. And that process is still ongoing. I think that that's the challenge that we face, that people don't see that. And so the the sort of first wave of capitalism, like the I guess the... Um, the uh, the um, a lot of people look at our reservations, uh, our, our you know prison camps as my dad calls them, our concentration camps um, that were established to control indigenous people through treaties that were not designed to benefit our people, but actually on the terms of the colonizers and set to benefit them. Um, that these negotiations were uh, created um, as a way to ensure that we were controllable and folded in at some point into society. And that meant 
again, killing the Indian and saving the man. So that process with the trading posts that were set up in the sort of frontiers that came before that, um, with traders exploiting the buffalo, exploiting beavers, exploiting anything that they could find to make a profit for themselves, um, is part of that logic. Uh, and, and, you know, if you look at the history of even traditional Diné um, rug weaving, a lot of those designs were manipulated by trading post workers, the white traders who said, well, this is going to be more marketable. You should make this design. And they would bring in different colors. They'd bring, bring in different themes. And they actually helped to shape and define what we consider traditional without questioning that act of violence and commodification. Um, you know, it's because our people were destitute after the long walk. Our our traditional economies were devastated. Our means to sustain ourselves, our lands were scorched earth. You know, our orchards, our fields were destroyed, decimated. Our sheep were were slaughtered, uh, and so forth. And so we had to become dependent on those rations. We had to become dependent upon those channels um, through capitalism to survive. Uh, and that was controlled by trading posts, and it shaped uh, the. The, it created a fissure between art and culture, and there never has been a dichotomy between for Diné people between art and life. It's been an expression of who we are ceremonially, uh, and so forth. And so, I, I I think that that's an important point to understand that break and and recognize that you know the new forts with the trading posts and all that are um, what we see happening in. Indian market in Santa Fe and the exploitation in the way that people are manufacturing indigenous identity for settler consumption, for white consumption um, is part of it. And so when you factor in that with a movement, when you factor that in with our fights for justice, for to end our people's suffering, to stop the violence against Mother Earth, to stop the violence against our people and non-human beings – and then you commodify that, that is extraordinary violence against our people. And part of the reason that we re react so strongly is because it's just stripping it down, turning it into that commodity, commodity and fulfilling the colonial project of destroying our people's identity completely and then turning it into something they put on a shelf, put in a book, put in a case, and then it's just studied in the future um, by, by people in the academic industrial complex, by anthropologists, by archaeologists or whatever. But no, we're living, breathing people to this day. Our expression should not be controlled through that. So, so for me, it's about resisting commodification of life and culture. And that is a fight. That is a, an extreme fight right now. And if people can't see that and they passively support that trading post logic or they're the neo trading post in cigar store Indians, you know, um, mm -hmm. then they're, per, then they're oh, perpetuating. They've, they've commodified that too. Then, <laughs> yeah, then, mm -hmm. well, well, but I mean, that was a commodity that was, you know, an essentialization of indigenous people. It's like sort of the first mascot was like the cigar store Indian, right? Mm -hmm. They just used this stoic wooden Indian to sell cigars. I mean, that's, that's how, who how, these how are. you know how, how you can't get any more dehumanizing than that. Mm -hmm. yeah, and that's who these brands are. They're like cloud chasing brands that sprung up, you know, after Standing Rock, and then we're chasing around like all these different movements, party hopping at different pipelines, and trying to promote a brand. Like we see you too. You know, you've been called out by your own people, but like to show up at like a George Floyd event with like your own shit and then try and take, mm. you know, selfie to try and like promote that. Come on, man. I mean, like, you know, better than that. I hope you were raised better than that, but judging by mm -hmm. the art that some of these uh, groups and these artists put out, I mean, like 
we were talking about the natives. These motherfuckers put like sage in a, a little, you know, red glass thing that says break in case of emergency. You know, uh-huh. you can look at these artists and how they treat medicine. These organizations too. Look at these artists and how these organizations treat our medicine. If you want to look at a, a recent example, go ahead and look at line three, how they fucking took like, I don't know where they got this idea, but to put a sweat lodge meant to be destroyed in the middle of this whole, like whatever they were trying to do out there. You know, we all talked about this, you know, this is, Mm -hmm. you can't treat our medicine like that. You can't like, you know, create a profit off of that. You know, people are people being incarcerated, uh, the destruction of our medicine and, you know, gaining clout online. That's all it comes down to is them, you know, clout chasing. And I think it's about time that we all start really looking at how much we participate that in that, you know, the likes, the follows, the shares, the buying of it and everything like that. These people are going to continue to do fuck shit unless like we really like look around and say, like, how is this benefiting us in any way? Who are these people? Because the way the natives read, it seems like some white person who's, you know, <laughs> grew up in escape culture and. Uh, found out that they're Indian and now they're trying to like, you know, make all these connections and everything like that. And that's the way that shit reads. And it's all for profit. There's no spirit behind it. You know, I'm not going to get any type of spirit wearing some shiny baseball jacket with all these stupid ass patches on it. In fact, I'm going to get laughed out of my own movements, you know, if I'm wearing that. Yeah. It seems like we're at a point where, you know, these creatives and artists and makers are it's it's beyond survival at this point um and it's more so about you know chasing and getting that clout and speaking of you know using medicine um in very inappropriate ways I think we're we all know and have kind of already talked about how you know this chief lady bird issue that I'm just dying to start talking about um you know, they had smudged all those like kegs um, that were um, the kegs of beer that were supposed to fill the cans. What? You didn't see that? Oh no. God. No, they literally smudged beer that was supposed to go in cans that were, um, uh, were whose labels or the labels were designed by Chief Ladybird. Who also had the audacity to put Thunderbirds um, on this particular design. And then uh, the idea is that each for each can sold, one dollar will go to uh, you know some unidentified MMIW. Um, and I say MMIW, not the full thing, because that's what was explained on the post. Um of course, it left out, you know, girls, trans, and two-spirit people. So one dollar, one fucking dollar of every can of beer sold will go to some un- unidentified organization that is... So the more cans of beer that are sold... The more people drink, then, yeah. Then the more mm-hmm. justice is brought to missing and murdered indigenous women, girls, trans, and two-spirit relatives. Is that the logic? I guess, That's yeah. trash. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Who's <clears throat> aunties? Who, who's that person's aunties? Like that we need to know. Yeah. In my experience and in working with the MMIW G2ST movement and also um you know, having a missing indigenous mother, I would say that alcohol and any affiliation to it is obviously the first misstep. Um, Almost every case study I've done of a missing or murdered indigenous women or trans or two-spirit relative was facilitated in some way by alcohol. So how do you not fucking make those connections? Alcohol is... Um, the w- number one substance used in facilitating all of men's violence against women, including um, domestic violence, rape, sexual harassment, all, all the all the other forms of violence that are, um, you know, um, said to be violences against women. Um, and we know, in particular, that these violences impact Indigenous women on a scale that's almost three times that of any other group of, um, of people. And of course that includes our, you know, queer femme, uh, you know, relatives as well in a way that I don't think, you know, we even understand yet how specifically like queer femmes are impacted by, um, you know, uh, um, the MMIWG2ST movement because such that, you know, that movement was co-opted by not the nonprofit industrial complex, which is very queer phobic. And so we don't even know exactly how trans and two spirit folks are implicated in this movement because it's so like statistically and data um, driven when we, when we're trying to understand how this impacts um you know, our people. And so, um, obviously that's like, you know, the biggest upset is how you could link, um, a movement that, you know, is so horrifying to so many people. I don't know one single indigenous person who isn't impacted by a missing or murdered, um, indigenous relative in some way. I, I, I truly do not know one person who isn't impacted by it. And then, and then to relate um, that struggle to the reason why, like, um, you know, violence against, you know, women and queers happens the most is just like the most, I, I, it just, I don't even know how to, I can't even explain how infuriating that makes me and how contradictory it is. It was an extraordinary misstep. And, Chief Ladybird's justification was that they wanted to provide their art and they intentionally, you know, left out certain cultural uh, components that they typically have in their approach to their expression, um, specifically to address social stigmas around alcohol consumption and support this small brewery that's owned by Indigenous people. And so, which, which of course, mm. then it became revealed that they had actually, this brewery had actually smudged the kegs, which within, in and of itself is extraordinarily problematic. Um, and my concern is, is that, you know, this approach to breaking social stigma, I think is, is it, again, it's mis, an extraordinary misstep. 
Um, particularly because like, I, th- I think the logic here is, is that people are like, well, I, I won't, I'm like, I'm, I have great self-control. I can casually consume alcohol. And while I recognize that there are substance use issues and stereotypes throughout our communities, I can drink casually and it's fine. And I support this small business because they're not one of those massive corporations that's profiteering off of our people's suffering, or they're not one of the, um, the alcohol uh, stores like in White Clay or in Grey Mountain that have um, multi-million dollar sales every year because they're in close proximity to reservation boundaries that are dry reses, you know. And so, um, you know, I, I put out a, a comment on Chief Lady Bird's uh, Instagram post just, you know, basically taking the position that alcohol – um, is an economic and political weapon that's been used by colonizers to manipulate, control, and devastate indigenous peoples. Um, and I got some pushback, actually, a lot of people just justifying and just, you know, applauding Chief Lady Bird and, and other people. It seemed like the, the crowd was pretty split. But, you know, I, I think it's important to recognize that um, the social stigma isn't around people's personal consumption. It's great that you have self-control. But it doesn't absolve you from collective responsibility or social responsibility because there are political ways that alcohol uh, still devastates our communities. Um, you know, and, and to, so to me, it's connected to the, the dehumanizing racist acts that many of our people have become stereotyped into an image that is hated by settler colonial society and it's hated by ourselves. Um, this dehumanization allows for further violence against us and the land to become an accepted practice. And this is really key in looking at appropriation and mascotry and all of that. Um, it's also a violence that some of our relatives internalize and direct towards themselves, their families and the communities on disproportionate levels, as you mentioned, Bon. And so, you know, our position has been that we encourage harm reduction um, and I totally agree that we need to break social stigmas, but I think it's the question of how to do that. And to me, it's it's not by slapping a, a, a label on a beer can that has been smudged and benefiting uh, missing and murdered indigenous women. It's about po- further politicizing the conversation around sobriety. It's actually, you know, um, talking about control and collective responsibilities or self-control and collective responsibilities and looking at ways that we can support each other in our communities to strive to maintain our lives independent from the influence of alcohol, uh, the colonizers poisons um, and celebrate the sacredness of sobriety and honor our ancestors, mm-hmm. um, you know, because that cycle of abuse, violence that is embedded within alcohol and the sort of alcohol culture that comes from Europe that was imported, um, except for the spiritual cultures and practices from some of the other indigenous nations. But the alcohol industry and, and a microbrewery is not that. It's not traditional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but this is a cycle that we are still in. So if you want to talk about breaking social stigmas, you also have to talk about breaking these cycles for coming generations. Um, and, and this is where I love the work that Mama Jules has done. Um, and she has uh, for years been an advocate and an intervener, direct action intervener to kick um, uh, 
meth dealers out of their communities and they went to battle in white clay. They fought against um, the licensing of uh, the um, alcohol exploitative mm-hmm. little like outpost settler outposts that were profiteering for years off of the suffering our people and keeping our people in that cycle in that street um, and, and, and profiting off their misery. And they fought with direct action to shut those places down, and they were really effective. Um, and many other communities have done the same thing. And so, you know, if we exclude that from the conversations and we just focus on this like stigma and 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 think it, uh, yeah, it's okay if you you are a casual recreational drinker and you have great self control, that's great. But every day, every fo- I, I just came from working with unsheltered relatives to this day, mm-hmm. and one of our brothers who just went out of jail went into um, a treatment program and is struggling every single fucking moment of his life. Mm-hmm. To to bring back that that self love that support that respect that dignity to to bring back his humanity, um, you know, and that alcohol is that force that has stripped him of that. And to me, that is extraordinary act of colonial violence. And the fact that people are prom- profiting off of that, um, our own people are profiting off of that. Uh, you know, I guess maybe it's not a surprise because our own people did mm-hmm. and some other nations did against other people when they recognized that alcohol be, could be used as a weapon and a tool to manipulate, you know, uh, people to sign treaties that they knew wouldn't benefit them and coerce them and control them. And to me, it's that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. It's like this is a form of domination. There's a hierarchy. There is a form of political domination that's embedded within the culture of alcoholism. That needs to be addressed if we're going to address these stigmas and we can't just pretend that it doesn't exist. We have to fucking address the whole thing. Like I don't want to shame somebody um, if they have that personal choice and they're going to go out and they're going to hang out and drink it at the bar. But you better be in line with some shit and especially if you think you can smudge a keg. If you can put sacred imagery on alcohol or these kinds of substances, then we are going to definitely hold you accountable. I don't give mm-hmm. a shit what your cultural context is because just like Remy brought up, it's like if you use a sweat lodge as a prop for direct action, specifically commodifying it in a way that is for a spectacle so you can mm-hmm. you know, create a, a scene that shows the spiritual harm, you're also putting that harm intentionally uh, – onto those ceremonies. You're bringing that onto yourselves. You're bringing that into our communities. You know, are we willing to accept the consequences? Have we thought that through? We have to be that much more responsible to the spiritual violence that is also embedded in this conversation about exploitation, commodification, and capitalizing off of these struggles, off of these movements. And so to do it in the name and the benefit of missing and murdered indigenous women, girls, trans, and two-spirit relatives, just like you said, Bon, like, I can't think of any greater insult Mm-mm. No. And, you know, I think it's it's just a it's a it's bullshit to break a social stigma by saying, well, not every native has the same experience with alcohol is really just gaslighting our feelings towards this collaboration. If people want to break a social stigma around alcohol, then maybe the people who are the most stigmatized by it should have their voice centered in whatever conversations happen around destigmatization. Um, like how how could Chief Lady Bird not have included, you know, those of us who have, you know, because of colonization and this like just, you know, this very violent cycle that we live in, have um, self-coped with alcohol. Um, it's thank goodness I'm in recovery now and have been sober for almost two and a half years, but a lot of us don't get to 
have that experience um, in recovery with alcohol. And like, we should probably be the ones who are breaking the stigma around alcohol consumption. And for people who have, you know, so-called self-control of their, um, of their, um, consumption of alcohol to just totally ignore the relationship that the very like negative violent relationship that a lot of us have had with alcohol just clearly shows that they don't actually like give a shit about what they're saying um they want to prevent from happening which is women going missing women well for them it was just the women um going missing and and being murdered i see a lot of these artists as just um, just regurgitating white culture and throwing some native imagery on it is really what it comes down to. Uh, these folks with like degrees and everything like that, design or whatever, uh, they're predominantly like in museums or backed by these institutions. And I think that we really need to start challenging these um, folks, uh, calling them out in some way and being honest in terms of, you know, how they're how they acquire or the the capitalism involved in all of this, and so I, I don't know. I, I think that we have a lot of work to do because our folks just eat it up in some cases without ever questioning it, and so um, it's unfortunate to see uh, the stuff with uh, the can and everything like that. Uh, I think I saw somebody sent me something where it's, there was a quote that said, um, it's always been my dream to have my artwork on a beer can or something like that. It's like, whoa, there's a serious disconnect there. And I think mm-hmm. that that's, uh, I don't know. Uh, again, like who are your aunties? <laughs> like, oh, uh, we come from communities. It's like, I'm, I'm sick and tired of that stigma too. Like, I mean, if I see one more native film with like another drunk, you know, like uh, villain, you know, or factor regarding that, and I've made a film that actually had, you know, a drunk character. Um, but that was because it was part of the political conversation, but it's, it's such a, a, a trope that's been overdone, but it's part of our social reality. Like I have uncles that drink themselves to fucking death. I mm-hmm. um, have relatives that drank themselves to the point where they put themselves more at risk of exposure and passed on. And we look at the history of these so-called border towns like um, Gallup, what do they call it? Drunk town USA. And, you know, back uh, um, some, some decades ago, Larry Casus, who is a young uh, Diné, I think he was 19 at the time. He kidnapped the mayor of the town because they, he was, he was part of this group called the Kiva club that was based out of UNM university of New Mexico. And, um, they were working for some time to stop the proliferation of uh, liquor sales because one of the, the mayor at the time had owned a liquor store and it was just lined up and people literally there were people lined up and then there were people in a ditch. Um, Larry Casus took direct action. He went and kidnapped the mayor, held him up by gunpoint and he took him down the street and he said, no more. You have to end this, um, destruction of our people through the sales of alcohol. And he was shot. He was executed. Um, by the pigs in the street there in Gallup. And this is part of the history. Resistance is a powerful part of history. So you want to ignore that? Like Mm -hmm. when you think it's okay um, to sit there and slap a beer label 
on this stuff. It's like we can't ignore that. It's a political, a deep political history that I think is part of this conversation that we cannot ignore and we have responsibility to. It's like, yeah, it's great you have self-control again to just reiterate my point. But let's look look at this. What What is the message that we send to youth um, who are struggling, you know, in the face of substance use issues and uh, mental health issues and a range of other like dynamics with capitalism and poverty um, you know, when I look at this sort of like trading post logic, um, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's like, it, again, it relates to exploitation of indigenous identity and struggle for people's personal gain. But then we also look at the youth and how they're inundated with um, everything being monetized in this day. Um, like everything, social media being monetized, everything is like for consumption and that kind of like um, culture that is, you know, presented in how people are now transitioning into this sort of technological environment and what that means for indigenous identities. It's scary. Um, and to have artists just going along wholesale with it, literally um, selling themselves out uh, to continue this, this capitalist expansion in our communities. It's like, I don't, I don't look, I also don't look at like a lot of our communities as being impoverished um, solely for the fact that like, you know, if you factor in some of the statistics, it's like they don't account for those of our people who are still self-sufficient on the land. Like many of our elders, uh, on, at least on Dinebikea, we have elders who don't speak English still. Uh, they live with no le- running ele- rot air, no electricity. And it's not because they're poor. It's because capitalist in expansion has not been completely fulfilled and absorbed them or assimilated them into that economy or that exploitation matrix and turn them into a productive member of that society. And to me, that has to be resisted at all costs. So it's not poverty. It's actually resistance of capitalism and an evidence that we continue um, to, to fight off and, and hold off that capitalist expansion. So yeah, poverty exists and we have to look at the root causes of homelessness. We have to look at these root causes of substance use issues and the mental health issues and look at the, how that relates to the desecration of the sacred. Uh, it, it relates to the desecration of these sacred places that are part of our cycles of spiritual renewal. And it looks at the way that we, we even view our own um, medicines to the point where we can subject it to that kind of desecration, whether it's a prop at a direct action or whether it's a, a beer can label and smudging those kegs. You know, to me, that's part of that spiritual violence and, and part of why it makes it that much harder for our people to heal. And, th- and this, I guess, like the point in the question that you brought up, especially Remy, is just like, we, we had a conversation about this with some of the other indigenous action contributors. And one of them just brought up the point about how this is like liberalism's appeal to native artists and how liberalism, um, as they stated, um, may find contradictions in capitalism or liberal democracy, but never actually goes that full step uh, in the direction towards abolishing it. And so it's like this comfortable position where they can market, you know, uh, these uh, uh, trends like land back, you know, for example, uh, they can market, um, decolonize, and they can um, even try to trademark it. We didn't even talk about um, uh B. Yellowtails, uh, who's an indigenous fashion designer, uh, attempt to trademark decolonizer. And she put that on a mask um, <laughs> to, to sell, to intervene in mm-hmm. COVID-19 um, mm-hmm. and then benefit. I, I can't remember how much they were selling the masks for, but they were expensive. They were super expensive, not made for our people. Just like you said, like those bomber jackets with patches, like, I mean, 200 plus dollars or whatever they, they sell them for. It's just like, is that made? to be accessible for our people. 
um, you know, this is the sort of logic of liberalism where people think that it's okay to trademark this term decolonizer when that should be a threat to the very system that you're trying to uphold and benefit from. Us challenging that is not lateral violence. Us challenging that is bringing you back into account with understanding that the colonization is war, capitalism is war, that this is a fight. And if you're going to benefit and reinforce that system, then perhaps you're not our um, our relative. We don't have that kinship. And perhaps you're on that other side, just like those enemies that we had that were scouts, that were also selling the alcohol, bringing in the alcohol with the guns and, and the Christianity to subjugate our people, to control our people, to devastate our people and fulfill colonial domination and destruction of indigenous peoples on these lands. If you're an artist and you aren't challenging these things, um, I think that, again, I just think that you're trash. Um, I can just <laughs> scroll down the list of all these different brands. Enter your favorite native brand here. And, and then go ahead and look and then just see, like, where does this get us? We're not challenging anything at this point. I'm just taking white culture putting a native bird on it and then like selling that to my own. It's just like, how, how are we like, we got to like educate our own people in terms of like questioning these things. Like, you know, the, the, the gimmickry um, of, of all of this. Um, and I, I think that's really important to kind of bring it back to like a lot of these different conversations that we're talking about. You know, as a designer, as a former military person, you know, I have my struggles with like, mm-hmm. you know, substances and I've gotten better too, but like never in my life, like would I ever put, uh, <laughs> design something on a beer can or something like that, you know, and growing up in Black Mesa and everything, you know, that, that part of me was instilled. Never in my life would I consider putting a sweat lodge somewhere, you know, that mm-hmm. it was meant to be destroyed. And I think that, you know, these things are all choices and, you know, it's a learning experience and, you know, I struggle with certain things and, you know, I've gotten better about certain things too, but I think that there's just certain parts of things that are just people aren't willing to either look at or, um, do the work on, you know, it's just about that IAIA like graduate program where you can just see how like, you can like sell your stuff at Indian market, you know, mm-hmm. and it's exhausting to look at all this stuff. And it's, <laughs> honestly, I think these people just need to stop, you know, or eventually like Clea, you said, they're just going to run out of shit. And I hope that time comes soon. Well, how do they do it? Like how, so how can we get to a point where it's like people can do this responsibly or, or like mm-hmm. express themselves? Cause like we're trying to survive and like, you know, artists, like, I appreciate the art that Natives produces. Like, I think there's there's some, ori- like, beautiful original content. I think, you know, there's B. Yellowtail's work is great. But, you know, as art, when it stands alone on that level, I think there's some powerful contributions that people have made. But, like, what's the threshold one that, you know, like, people cross? And I think we've sort of explored that in um, sort of clarified that in relation to certain standards. But, um, like, what can people do? Like, what are your recommendations for people to like be accountable, be responsible to that and um, provide work or, you know, um, do this kind of like um, design stuff that helps to benefit our communities more or confronts these issues more? Or do you think that's just not possible? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I think it all goes back to the education of our own people and, 
in the sense, really figuring out, you know, who these people's relatives are, who they're accountable to. And, you know, the Lego men that are like native design just ain't going to cut it on the front lines. I'm sorry. Um, so, um, I don't know. I think that as maybe as indigenous folks back in the day, we didn't do shit just to do shit. You know what I mean? To sell it uh, to to whatever. You know, I'd like to think that we we decorated, that we designed something that was part of a culture, part of our um, defensive community, or like whatever that was. And in terms, when once we got hit with capitalism, all of that changed. And so it's like, how can we sell our stuff at Indian market for white people? Um, it's a dangerous blind. But then we do have people like, you know, on roadsides in our own reservation selling, you know, things that have been, you know, modified, like, you know, sand paintings from ceremonies that have been modified enough so they're not representing the actual sacred work, but still, you know, it mm. is derived from that. But they're using that as a means for survival because there's no other, you know, means for um, benefit for them in the context of capitalism. I mean, obviously I would never, I would advocate for nobody to have a job or nobody have to struggle for survival. But, um, I just feel like makers and designers and artists and stuff. It's just like, don't, don't like tag on to like movement. If you're not part of it, what I told like chief Ladybird on, on the posts on the comment that I made, like in an ending. So, so when I had first responded to chief Ladybird, I didn't know that she had um, like a pattern of doing this and has been called out for um, issues that people have had with the collaborations and arts um, that she puts out. So if I had already known that I probably would have been a little bit more um, like, call out E than call any. But anyway, I said that, you know, like people need to really deeply reflect and consider like how grave these, our movements are and choose like with a lot more discernment, like who, you know, artists and and makers are going to collaborate with. And that, you know, it's like, don't like, you don't have a place to talk about, um, you know, these, these movements if, if you're just not part of them. And so I'm not like super like, like interested in, let's say for example, like this other, uh, artist who use plant medicine in earrings that, and like resin based earrings that said like, fuck the cops. And then, you know, later found out that, they sat on like nonprofit boards in which these nonprofits worked with the police. And so it's just kind of like you like just just be a maker, be an artist, like be a designer, but keep that world into your little like keep that in your capitalism bubble. Don't try to like keep don't try to bring these movements and and co-opt them into being part of your you know, capitalistic, um, yes, survival in a lot of ways, but in, in these other types of, you know, affairs with, with capitalism, um, unless, you know, I think that if this was more of like, a 
if the if the if a design or a piece of art that was like uses propaganda was meant for community, like we've already talked about earlier in the show, and you know that is then you know that capitalistic exchange is then like used to you know um, provide resources for people who don't have the means to um, acquire their own. You know that's another thing. Those you know, those pieces of propaganda are, are supposed to be shared amongst community, not just like, you know, for some <clears throat> white Colorado microbrewery yuppie to drink a beer and be like, oh, I, you know, I give a shit about the indigenous people whose land um, I'm currently occupying in the water that was also stolen to brew this beer. Um, so I think that, that's what I would say at this point. I think there's so much there's there could be more, you know. I think these conversations evolve and um and more more can be uh discerned from them, but that's I think a, at least a starting point for makers and artists and designers. It's like don't keep your survival world and and capitalism just that. Like don't bring in, you know, these movements um into into that world. I'm a little bit more antagonistic about that. I feel like, I think it's important to challenge lifestyleism and differentiate between this sort of like, and and just to be clear, like lifestyleism is basically, and it's, it's sort of like a critique amongst anarchists that have, you know, made this distinction between people who prioritize cultural and identity, like over, struggles for justice. And so for indigenous peoples, you know, culture and justice is one and the same uh, in our identities. But um, what most lifestyles do, they're just focused on the aesthetic. They're focused on the sort of chic component. If there's a trend, um, they want to like, you know, be the ones wearing that like nice, you know, cool lettering land back t-shirt and wave, waving back. that that flag with the defend the sacred sticker um, or, or button. Um but the question then is like in, in the difference between somebody who's just you know, a lifestyleist, um, between somebody who's actually taking direct action and engaged in these issues on a, on a movement level and, and, and involved in the struggle or frontliners, organizers, um, you know, so forth, um, is that people are actually, you know, then um, uh, taking those ideas, those thoughts, that imagery and putting it to action. Um, and furthering those movements, furthering those struggles. And I think we need to um, challenge that. I think it's important to challenge people when they are just focused on the aesthetics um, and focus on, because that's just appreciating the commodity and recognizing, because I would love to see in Missing and Murdered Indigenous women, girls, trans, two-spirit relatives, propaganda everywhere like fucking on everything tagged everything like people wearing shit like all of that um but i want i wouldn't want to see that happen in a way that it's merchandised and i wouldn't want people to feel then and what i mean by that is just that again like it's just an industry where people are profiting and it's not going towards the movement where it's just a lifestyle an empty sort of gesture of recognition where somebody can feel good about wearing the t-shirt and then they go home and 
they're still perpetuating that system of violence and upholding it and benefiting from it. And to me, that's the distinction. What I'm not comfortable with is just the moment that people feel like they can separate themselves from it and feel good about participating because they recognize the issue. And that's the distinction between the politics of recognition, as we've talked in the show in different episodes before, and the politics of liberation. And I don't think all art should service liberation or resistance. That would be fucking boring. You know, I mean, it would be like, you know, it's maybe Stalinist propaganda or Soviet propaganda, where it's just like the authoritarian regime saying all art needs to be produced for like class um, struggle. Um, You know, I I feel like we're more creative than that. And maybe that's where like guide boards in the situationists um, analysis of the society, the spectacle come into play because at this point in their analysis with the society, the spectacle was, is that um, uh, the, the images have become uh, the, the sort of like the production uh, in our society is sort of run by the assorted authority through the aesthetic and images um, as opposed to um, like the, the interpretation I think they had was that was based on Marxism and in um, uh, material goods as being like the means of production. Well, here it's um, actually imagery um, in this transition of society. I highly recommend reading that um, society, the spectacle, because I think it informs a lot of the analysis that we have here. Um, but I think it falls short on the complexities of indigenous identity. And we're struggling with this fracture this fragmentation in our communities where initially there was no distinction between art and our life. And that was artificially imposed through this trading post capitalists who wanted to market our people. And now we just buy into that wholesale and then we attach our movements to it. It's like, we look back at history you look back at the American Indian movement, the Women of All Red Nation movement, what was their merchandise look like? How did they market their hashtags and all that? Did they have all these flags with land back and all that stuff? It's like, no. Like their propaganda was very specific in that it supported their agenda for the objectives that they wanted to achieve. And they did that basically through what anarchists also call propaganda of the deed, which basically means that um, it's it's political action that's meant to be exemplary to others and serve as a catalyst for action or for revolutionary transformation or change for liberation, as opposed to just um, propaganda of the aesthetics. Um, and I think there's, there's a value in that. Like, I would love to see everything sort of propagandized. And that's why I like agitprop or agitational propaganda, because it it challenges people to think about their role as passive consumers in society or passive colonial subjects in settler colonial society and, and question that role. And it agitates them to the point where they recognize that they can fight back, that this isn't the way that it has to be because it's not the way it always has been. And we can imagine different realities. And so the, the role of artists to me is, is, is to speak that truth and to be part of that conduit for liberation um, especially if we tie that back to um, and we heal that fissure between art being um, separate from our life and separate from our expression. Um, what is the purpose of your art? Maybe that's the first question that artists should ask themselves. Um, what is the purpose for what I'm creating? If it's connected to this movement, what is the purpose of that? Is it to benefit myself Um and if it is, that's what we're fucking challenging and we want to shut down here. But if it's to benefit that movement in a way that perhaps I don't even get credit for, right? You can anonymously, you know, put something up there. Instead of like painting this beautiful mural for um, a struggle and turning in, you know, this this wall to an anti-colonial art gallery, instead of putting your like trademark or copyright, leave that for the people. 
you know, and, and, and enjoy that power. It's like, yeah, you can take credit for it, but if you're just there for that credit and cloud chasing, then we'll see through that. It's superficial and you're still benefiting yourself in a, a very, the very way that we're challenging with the commodification of um, expression here. And I think that that's part of it. It's just like, what is the purpose of this art? Uh, who is it benefiting? Um, and how can I make sure it benefits as completely as I can those in this, this struggle, this movement, or those people who are on the front lines? I think that's the first question challenge. I think the other challenge is to just identify fucking that capitalism's, capitalism is the enemy. I, I, I personally don't want people to go into their little silos and try to like figure out how to you know survive. It's like, how can we fucking weaponize this shit? How can we challenge things so we're not just dependent upon this status quo? Um, and transform the conditions of our society. And that is a collective endeavor. It takes all of us like fucking amazing, brilliant, creative minds that are generating so much powerful, like art in different ways is, is the, is the, the sum of that, what should just go on a fucking beer can. <laughs> like, I mean, to me, it's like, we can weaponize that in so much more interesting, creative and powerful ways to intervene in the narratives that reinforce the dehumanization of our people. So that way we can get free. We can get liberation. We can fight back, inspire people. Like how can this art, how can what I'm creating inspire people into action to help movements move? How help people move, help to raise their consciousness and challenge these underlying assumptions that hold our people down. You want to attack social stigmas. That's the question that you should be asking. Not, you know, I want to be feel better and I want to feel less shame so I can go drink at a bar. Um, and to me, that's the breakdown. It's just like, you want to do that. That's fucking fine. Like, I'm not going to police what you should or should not do in your life. Um, but the moment that you bring it into this political realm of the fucking shit that we have to deal with and the violences that we have to deal with, I'm going to challenge that shit. And I'm, I'm not going to be apologetic about it. Yeah. I think these words that are being like commodified and sold to us, like decolonize <laughs> was trademarked, uh, land back. Uh, there was a website bought for it and that was probably trademarked by, uh, that trash ass organization, Indian collective. Um, these are words, these are verbs. Like the, they don't, they're not, I don't, I don't know how people think about these things, but these are like actionable, like this is <laughs> land back is, isn't something that's has a URL, you know? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know how else to try and like explain that, but, uh, you know, to, to create a campaign off of land back. I mean, what is that? I still don't know what that is. You know, I know what land back is as the English words, but like, what are you doing? I know this organization, Indian collective is sitting on like millions and millions of dollars and I don't see them purchasing any land. Um, I don't see them giving it back. You know, I don't know what's going on. So I see a lot of, uh, brown bodies being incarcerated. Uh, I see a lot of donation pages going up for bail funds. I see millions of dollars being created. And so, like, when you put all of that into context, this is nothing more than, you know, slick corporate imagery campaigns um, that are, you know, meant to benefit only, like, a very few people. And I think their CEO themselves makes almost like a quarter million dollars a year, but yet they're panhandling for 
uh, you know, the next camp or the next uh, Mount Rushmore, whatever their terrible action ideas are that like include the carceral state, you know, in terms of. Um, and at some point, <laughs> maybe this is another episode, but we got to talk about the relationship of the state, you know, uh, the prison pipeline and the nonprofit industrial pipeline. I mean, these all run in conjunction. So when you're saying land back, you know, it'd be great if we have our people back, you know, on our land, yeah. you know, but like if you're, if our people are being incarcerated for dumb shit mm -hmm. and you may have gotten off or anything like that, but you had no business doing that anyway, you know, um, I think we got to start challenging these organizations organizations that think it's okay to, to, to act in this way. You know, long gone are the days of, like, people clogging up jail cells. <laughs> we know that, like, the prison industrial complex is real. They have more housing for that than anything else, and that's not a battle we're going to win. And so um, the danger of the co-opting of these words and uh, monetizing them, I think, is very real. And I think it goes back to the... Um, education of our folks and maybe some of these different shows like this because all these organizations um that we've been mentioning here y'all are trash i hope you're listening so um this message is for you a public service announcement by Red. Yes. <laughs> and if you ain't listening send this to them and honestly, it needs to be put out there because I think like as, you know, as people who like, I don't know, have been, you know, conditioned to believe that we're shaming each other if we like call out each other's bullshit um, has actually left a lot of, you know, indigenous youth and, you know, I guess if you will, accomplices led into like actually like non-helpful understandings of how to, you know, um, what liberation and anti-colonialism actually is. And so um, I'm just glad that this conversation is happening and I wish that could be like more like the norm um, in, in a way that doesn't, you know, um, get interpreted as just like hating each other. And or like defensiveness being, um, you know, the the first reaction to somebody calling you out. I really, you know, I really hope that like as a like, I guess like looking at our like collectivity, um, like I hope that that starts to get like disrupted and. And dismantled because it 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 hurts honestly like I know it's it's just stupid social media but when I go on to like the Red Nation or I go on to Chief Lady Bird or, or I go on to you know this or um, this clothing company and see how many people uh, I follow who also follow them I'm just like God like you really just you really don't don't know you just don't know because we're not we are talking about it and we have been talking about it for a long time but I don't think we've been necessarily doing it in on a platform like this. So I definitely am happy that's happening. And then I just wanted to add like one little like kind of uh, side note about like agitprop. Um, I think that like, I, I, I like that. I like it because also I think so many people, um, 
I don't know. Like I, I think of like the amount of ableism that goes into conversations around um, like who's considered an activist and who's really doing the work um, and who the frontliners are. Um, not everybody has the ability um, to be on the front lines or contribute um, in any, in really like a physical way. Um, like I know, you know, a lot of my, um, co-conspirators are disabled people. And so if, you know, sometimes all they can do for like a week at a time is like lay in bed and, um, you know, make art and make poetry and contribute to, you know, like the movement and that way. So, um, I guess like, I just felt it was important to like, just kind of like maybe decon start to deconstruct and have conversations around deconstructing like what a frontliner is and who the people are contributing to the movement are. So just throwing that out there. That is that is a really awesome point. And to me that's just like the front lines everywhere in anti colonial struggle and anti capitalist struggle. And so yeah. however we like we're picking on an artist today, particularly the profiteers and nonprofit organizations who, you know, basically are social management uh, engines that have a relationship to the state and elite foundations that they're more accountable to than our own communities. And so the fact that they like find slick ways to merchandise these movements, um, it, it really is very disingenuous because they end up building organizational power as opposed to the power of the people. And that's what we're talking about, like on all levels and all spectrums. Uh, and I think why I wish uh, Tezba was still here, uh, but they had to take an important call. Um, but why that example of what happened to them is really critical and needs to be explored. And there needs to be accountability to with the uh, permissiveness of transphobia that happened mm -hmm. as a defense for this person who just is running a business that has a social justice component. They want to help the communities. But again, the question is, who are they actually helping at the end of the day when, you know, transphobia is a component of their defense? When, like, you know, for, for myself, I don't know how you feel about this, Remy, but I would never like start an organization or a business that's like named after a Hopi spiritual word as a Diné person. You know, I would never oh. you know, find a Lakota word and say, you know, that's going to be my business as a Diné person. Um, you know, right. because it's, it's especially a spiritual word, a spiritual term that's disrespectful on a lot of grounds. And we wouldn't accept it from non-native folks. Um, so we have to call our people in or call our people out and challenging them, challenge them. And to me, this isn't about canceling because it, it brings up the question of cancel mm -hmm. culture. Um, and I, I think there's like, fuck, you know, it's like another can of worms that we could probably spend like 30 more minutes, but we're, we're close to the near the two hour mark, I think an hour and 45 minutes. So we should probably start wrapping up. Um, but like, you know, just to quickly identify, like for me, like some things need to be canceled. Some behaviors need to be fucking shut down. And if it's transphobic, if it's perpetuating violence against people in our communities and, you know, profiteering off of dehumanization, or if it um, is clearly just benefiting people so they can bring up their social stature or their class um, stature, then we need to challenge that in our communities. And that is a hard thing to do. So it can't be just dismissed at, or categorically shut down as a critique that is trying to cancel or 
people or cancel culture. To me, it's about making sure that nobody's above critique, but we can do this in a, in a way that helps to further each other and, and build that support. It's just like, that's part of transformative justice, right? It's, it's part of the transformation that we need to be able to like address these issues, have real conversations, have fucking honest conversations about these challenges and figure out what works or not. If chief Ladybird is fine cashing that check at the end of the day, she's going to keep doing what she's doing. That's her prerogative, but just know that we're fucking not with it. You know, we're going to challenge that if, if, um, groups like Indian Collective are fine cashing those checks from Jeff Bezos or, you know, whatever um, corporate entities on the debts of Navajos that, that they're 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 cozy with, like you know, in the name of mutual aid or COVID nineteen um, uh, intervention and land back. Like we're not we're, we can't sit with that. We're going to challenge that. We're going to raise our voices and not be silenced because this is part of the tension and disruption and part of our role and responsibility to uh, address these issues in our communities for future generations. It's the same fight. Um, but if you're coming at it from that strategy, you know, you're definitely not our accomplices. You're not our, our, our kin, our, our relations um, on that level. And, and I think that that needs to mm-hmm. be asserted. And, and again, bringing it back to Tesba's um, uh, situation. I, I am, I'm just, what, what really drew me to their, um, their fight, in their pushback against Arenda tribe um, was that they could have easily been isolated. They could have easily been easily been bullied and that could have gone the route. Like so many of these narratives go into self-harm, but they were fucking fierce and unapologetic. And that is powerful. It's asserting that power and taking that fucking back and saying, no, you can't control this for your own fucking agenda and your gain, you know, your private gain or your, the gain of your organization, your entity, your enterprise, um, and that's smashing fucking capitalism right there. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I wish everyone, you know, had that fiery spirit in them and we wouldn't have to be, <laughs> you know, calling in our own people because everyone would fucking know already. Because um, it is so extremely exhausting to be one of very few natives who will call out or call in other natives and adding the layer of like, you know, um, perpetual like queer phobia that exists in these, you know, elite circles of indigenous people is just like makes it even more fucking exhausting. And so everyone who's listening, please like do some, do some work, like ask yourself why you're afraid to call people in or, call people out because there's only a handful of us doing it and we need more people to say something. Um, cause it is so, it can be so isolating and scary. Um, and you know, like these online, I'm, I'm really glad for these online communities that exist, but for a lot of us, like we don't exist in like physical proximity to each other. Um, and, and so while our community might exist like digitally, um, it still doesn't have that element of like um, physical kinship with each other. And so if like if just more people were doing it and we had more, um, you know, people like supporting and, and speaking up so that especially like trans trans can um, could just take a fucking break. Uh, that would be really nice. <laughs> it's 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 a critical mass that's necessary for the cultural shift 
to make sure that these behaviors, these actions, you know, that are capitalistic, that are perpetuating and upholding these forms of colonial violence are unacceptable in our communities. And, and it's like a criti- it takes a critical mass to check that shit and say, hey, no, our culture is not cool with that. Like, we're not down with that. Uh, and that's what we're asserting here. Um, so I think it's important to also support those folks um, because it can be isolating and it can be very challenging to be you know, that person. And and I think some people like maybe be in, might be inhibited, inhibited um, to address those issues too, because they might think like, well, then who else do I have to go after? I have to go after everybody. I have to think of everything that I am doing and make sure it's like perfect or whatever. And, and, and mm. we're not trying to champion like a respectability politics or a purity, you know, of this kind mm-hmm. of like politic. It's going to be messy. It's rough. And we all have different methods of surviving, but yeah, like we should be challenging the fucking exploitative traders down the street who are profiteering off of our people's cultural, um, sacred, um, expression. We should be challenging the same way these ski resorts that are desecrating our sacred sites, these pipeline development, um, and, and, in in these sports mascots and these man camps and these industries that are overall, you know, like, like one thing that I say, um, constantly is just like, you know, we need to end the exploitation of, um, and, and the, the annihilation, the violence against indigenous, you know, peoples and our lands and non-human beings. Um, and, and we need other people to help us do that, but that's, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen, um, until people understand the true suffering of that and what that means. Uh, and sometimes even if they do, it becomes this like, you know, perpetual victimhood and victimization and people are okay playing that role because it's rewarded in capitalism. Like, uh, colonizers like to feel better about themselves by supporting those and rewarding those who play that victim. And we're not fucking victims. <laughs> we're, we're claws out here. And just like we say with the show tagline, these bridges, these burning bridges are going to light our fucking way. Uh, in terms of third closing thoughts, I, and I just want to reiterate again, um, you know, all these different orgs, all these different artists that we mentioned, you know, your shit don't hit on the front lines. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> you ain't in it to win. And there's those of us that are, um, you know, we just see you as a hurdle, you know, and we'd love to have those resources. That's for sure. But, um, you know, I think shows like this and, you know, maybe other folks doing the homework on some of these artists and everything, um, will help us light those wagons and those bridges. So, um, I just want to thank y'all appreciate the opportunity to voice my thoughts and, you know, uh, from a, an artist standpoint, a working artist and, um, somebody who's been in the trenches and having never seen any of these people a part of any of them. Um, you know, it's frustrating, but you know, some of us have still managed to carve out a life despite those resources, despite, uh, you know, reducing our work to just gimmicks and but, things but I like thought that. Everybody got their, but I thought everybody got their selfies at Standing Rock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure they did. And uh, I just remember, you know, um, how really fake a lot of that stuff was there from what I saw. And, um, 
you know, and that includes the, the nonprofits that were there too. So I'm sure that we can get further into the NPIC and the prison industrial complex and another <clears throat> show, but like, um, I think we need to be a little bit more aware of, you know, mindful about what we're putting our money because again, if you show up on the front lines and I'm there or we're doing something, you got some native ass shit on or some like sparkly bomber jacket, you know, <laughs> you got, we got to, we got to roll for you. You, we, we need people to fetch one for us. It's <laughs> like, I've already like classified you. I know where you are. You, <laughs> it's, it's embarrassing. Don't show up on the front line with that trash. Mm. So, <laughs> Uh, yeah, and um, thank you for this opportunity. And um, yeah, I'll leave it with that. I feel like I said everything that I wanted to say in regards to today's show topic. Um, hmm. I guess I would just like implore everyone who, um, you know. <laughs> in whatever sphere they exist in, like take action um, that they think is going to like move towards like our liberation and, and really like actually question if it, if it does or not. Um, And I mostly say that because it just, just in like, you know, my experience in, in trying to get, um, you know, natives and in, in community on, on board with, you know, different things that I'm part of. I feel like there's more of an agenda towards like liberalism and upholding capitalism and all the things that we talked about today. And so um, I guess I would just, for people who are able-bodied, really like ask yourself why you're so... Um, I don't know, like why you, um, why you're so dedicated to your own comfort as opposed to making sure that everybody in community is, has what they need. Um, because I don't, I don't like necessarily feel that there are enough radicals, um, especially here in so-called Flagstaff, um, who are also indigenous. And, you know, a lot of indigenous people say, well, like, I'm fighting to be heard. Like, I'm fighting I'm fighting the systems that have, like, led my people to be in the place where they are today by using the same systems, um, city council, you know, all that nonprofit bullshit. Um I guess, yeah, I'm just, I just want to ask people to be more, like, curious about why they're so dedicated to their own comfort, because that's not going to get us where we need to be. Um, And so I think that a lot of the people and, and things that we talked about today have a lot to do with people just wanting to maintain that comfort, chase that clout. Um, and, and stuff like that. And so, um, I think that needs to be like some interpersonal reflecting happening there. 
Yeah. <clears throat> I, I I wasn't actually going to do any closing things until y'all were talking and brought some stuff up for me. Um, I grew up in and around the struggle up in Big Mountain, Black Mesa, and that movement at some point was really popular. You know, there was a lot of national and international support. A lot of different people came and a lot of people made a lot of money off of it, millions of dollars. And a lot of people made their names as activists, including indigenous people, and profited in many ways from that movement. And so I grew up with a keen skepticism regarding that kind of profiteering and exploitation because they left and I still see the suffering from my relatives. Um, you know, I, I started, you know, my brother and sister and my, and my self started a band, you know, to put the message out there, challenging this issue in a way that was propagandizing. We weren't trying to benefit ourselves. We were trying to bring our people up and we always had that intention. And, and I always carry that with me, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm really dignified with that in the struggle to protect the San Francisco peaks. Same thing. We had a lot of people to show up the moment we got momentum. There's the hashtags, there's the clout chasing, there's the profiteering. And, you know, at that point we were really intentional because we knew that we didn't want the same thing to happen to that movement. And so I just want to share that. Um, I also think that this episode isn't for colonizers ears or gays. Um, I think this is for our people. So just be mindful of that. Um, and that for, for those of you who find this conversation hard to listen to and, and might just think like this is hyperbole to some degree or baseless or um, you think it's just a personal attacks and all that kind of stuff and petty. Um, some of our medicine, our strongest medicine is bitter medicine. Think about that. Think about what your response, your reaction is, and, and, and look at what the purpose is for what we're doing. And um, I think it's important because, you know, if we were doing this for our own personal gain, that would be another story. And that's not the story we're here to tell. We want to be the ones helping to shape that future and vision towards liberation for all people. And that means we need you with us. That's where, why we're having this hard talk, this real talk, this honest talk to challenge that. And that's bitter medicine and is powerful medicine. And we hope in some ways that it, it reaches you on that level. So I just want to offer that because it's hard to talk about. This is not good spiritual discussion because, you know, we don't want to feel like we're going against our own people. Um, but, you know, for me, I, I pray about these things a lot. I think about these things in this way. And we can't, you know, especially be just there to exploit and, and, and take advantage of our movements, our people who are struggling and suffering. And when we see that every day, every single fucking day with our relatives on the street who are suffering from alcohol, that colonizer's poison, we have to use our voices then to stand up and say, no, this, this isn't okay. You know, what, what is being done by some of our folks to just profiteer off of that until we get to the point where we actually, um, are in a good direction towards healing um, it's, it's, it's not going to be something that we can accept or just be okay with. So I just wanted to offer that. Um, cause I feel, I feel challenged when we have these conversations. I don't feel good about sharing it this way, but it's something I'm passionate about. And, you know, I'm a, um, I've, I've been okay with going claws out 
and having some bridges burn because of that. Because sometimes you need those people who can just be those controversial figures and have those conversations. So bring it on. <laughs> That's what's up. That's what's bring up. it on. <laughs> so Remy, how can people contact you, support you in your work to agitate against uh, the capitalist sellout issues that we're facing? Uh, you can reach me online. I have a website. It's first seven design labs, plural.com. And that's all spelled out. Um, you can also reach me on social media at F the number one R S T S E the number seven E N. So it just spells out first seven alphanumerically. And then I also have a link tree under the same thing. And, um, you want to go ahead and donate um that's in my link tree as well but uh, i just wanted to say yeah and thank you um it's great to be a part of this and have these types of critical discussions because i think they need to be had and um we need to interrupt some of this fuckery so once again yeah yeah thank you so much it's not easy putting yourself out there like that so really appreciate you being part of this conversation and we'll keep building uh, and tearing shit down as we need Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you can find this broadcast on any of the usual podcast platforms uh, including now the Channel Zero Anarchist Podcast Network, or, of course, at our website, indigenousaction.org. You can also email us pictures of burning cop cars, any questions or topics you'd like to hear us go claws out on at info at protonmail.com. And we'll definitely be sure to integrate your questions and ideas into um, this pod, this broadcast. Fire that they can never stop!